Well, hello, everybody. What great joy I have in knowing that you're joining me today to study more about God and how he is our rock and our fortress and how we've been finding different qualities about God through this study in Second Samuel. Today, we'll be studying Second Samuel uh, chapters 7, 8, and 9, where we're going to be finding God in, in his promises and also finding God in his kindness and how that all applies to us. Well, before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we're so grateful to you and how much you love us and care for us how much you have promised us and blessed us and how kind you are and have been towards us, Lord. I thank you so much for those that are tuning in to study your word. And I pray, Lord God, that they are not just listening to me, but they are actually getting into your word and studying it for themselves to see what thus says the Lord. And that, Lord God, that we can all glean a better understanding of our lives as Christians and how we should take the focus off ourselves and off any man, but to trust in you at the same time, helping each other, Lord, get to heaven. We pray, Lord, that you will be done in all of our lives and that you forgive us of our sins and that you help us to be better, to try to do better and not make excuses for not doing so, Lord. We thank you for all things in Jesus name. Amen. And before we move on, I'd like to encourage you all, if you haven't been able to come to the building yet um, to try to come. And if not, you know, join us online and also to be able to answer the questions and send me emails about the questions uh, with your answers uh, at their including these lessons. I have yet to hear from anybody yet, but I I'm hoping to uh, to hear from you or at least that you are reading the scriptures for yourself and and actually answering the questions for yourself, you know, giving a great introspection for yourself. All right. So let's go ahead and get started with Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant, David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in the house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in, in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to the, my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold or sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them and they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. 
since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him or chasten him with a rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods? For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which, you, word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray uh, this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Well, today, as we look at finding God and his promises, we key in on verse 16 of chapter 7, where it says, Your house and your kingdom will will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Again, that was verse 16 of chapter 7. So there's an old story about a man named Russell Edward Herman. As with most old stories, details seem to change over the years. But here are the basic facts. Mr. Herman died, and at the reading of his will, he left millions of dollars to people he had never met. For instance, as an example, 
Herman left the tiny town of Cave in Iraq, Illinois, $2.4 million. This was a town, according to his will, that he had only heard of. He had never been there. And his will was full of gifts like this to many different people, different towns and different organizations, totaling $100 million. But what was the catch? Well, the money didn't exist. Russell Edward Herman didn't have millions of dollars. He was just a simple, poor carpenter. Cave and the Rock's mayor uh, had this to say. It's an odd thing to happen, isn't it? Though the will would never pay off. The mayor had no trouble imagining uses of for the will's imaginary monies. Sure we sure we had have imagination about that too. Mr. Herman had great intentions, but he lacked the resources needed to make them a reality. Now although this story is very unusual, it is not unusual for promises to be broken, wouldn't you say in this day and age and in our lives? Parents make promises to their children, but unexpected work pressures cause them to be broken. Spouses promise to be faithful during the marriage vows, but the divorce rate in America hovers well above 50 percent. Politicians promise change, but the more things change, what did you say? The more they stay the same. You see, the greatness of God, however, stands in sharp contrast. God not only has made great and precious promises, he has the ability to follow through on every single one of them. And I thank him for that. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Numbers twenty-three nineteen. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Joshua 21, 45. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and, all, and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Joshua 23, 14. Now lastly, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Throughout the Bible, God never breaks a promise. And do you know how many he made? Was it 100, 110, 300, 1,000? From what we read, he made well over 30,000 promises. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, as we read, we find David assuming his role as the king. God gives a message to the prophet Nathan to deliver to David. The message contained wonderful promises of victory, greatness, and legacy. David knew that God was a promise keeper. So beginning in verse 18, we see David humbly responding to the promises of God. From his response, we learn much not only about the promises of God, but how we should respond to God's promises. Firstly, God's promises surpass our desires. If you look back at verses 18 through 20, we'll see that David already knew from personal experience that God's promises surpass our desires. <coughs> Sorry about that. Excuse me. God had promised he would be king. and He was. God had promised protection. 
And he delivered it against a lion, a bear, a giant, an angry king, and the Assyrian nation, an entire nation. God had promised blessings and he had provided them richly. Now, can you think of some of the promises God has fulfilled in your life? I can think of quite a few. More than a few (laughs) for myself and my family. Our experiences, though, are a drop in the bucket compared to what God has promised for the future. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God can provide immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Do you have a vivid imagination? I know you do. Some of you do. Well, God can make it happen if he chooses to, if it's according to his will. Have you ever had someone build something up and then when you experience it, you leave disappointed? Maybe they told you this is the best movie ever. And then you fell asleep in the movie theater. Maybe they told you uh, how wonderful a restaurant was. I, I get that all the time. Like this restaurant was it's great and the food is so awesome. And then when I've gotten there, I'm like, I can do better at my house inside my kitchen. Well, I paid this money for this and you promised me this food was going to taste. Yeah, I'm sure you've experienced that, too. Well, the promises that God has made us will never disappoint. His promises will always surpass our desires. Secondly, God promises um, showcase his purposes. So if you look at verses 21 to 22 in chapter seven, you may ask yourself this question. Do I know what's awesome about God's promises? Do you know what's awesome about God's promises? They're not based on what we want or what we think is best. David says, for the sake of your word, according to your will. You see, God's will is perfect. So if his promises for my life are based on his will, that's perfection. That is what Jesus calls life more abundantly in John chapter 10, verse 10. Yet so often we have the idea that our will is more perfect than God's. Hear this. We lay our plan before God and ask him to bless it, bless it instead of allowing God to take control. We lay our plans before God, plans that we've already come up with. And then we say, God, please bless this instead of allowing God to take control, asking him first before we make our plans. In the coming lessons, we will see David decide to go his own way instead of God's. The result was not good. And I tell you, it never is when we leave God out of the equation. Search the scriptures and find one case in which someone did the will of God and the results were bad. You might reply, well, John the Baptist stood up to Herod and he was beheaded. May we be reminded that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 121. God's will is always best. Most Christians will agree with that statement. I hope you do. But have you ever found yourself trying to climb in a window when it appears that God has closed the door? The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. God's promises showcase his purposes. Lastly, God's promises succeed against all odds. Well, because it's God. Verse 23 to 24. 
Have you ever felt unsaved? You know, you're, you're a Christian, but you just keep messing up and you wonder how God could possibly save you. As you walk into the church building, you hear the voice in your head uh, ask, why are you here? Who are you trying to fool? The Bible calls Satan the accuser, false prophet, and the father of all lies. God cannot lie. and He has promised us as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalms 103 verse 12. No matter how deep the oppression, if God promises freedom, it will come. The odds may be stacked against us, but the blood of Jesus sets us free. And God is not willing that any should perish, that any includes you, it includes me. When Satan presents you or presents your sins before God, Jesus will present his hands and his feet on our behalf. What a precious promise. I'm so thankful for it. Hope you are as well. So how does one respond to the promises of God? If we read or when we read David's words in verses 25 to 29, we see that he responded with first reverence. Lord God, keep the promise. Praise. O Lord Almighty. Thirdly, with consecration. I will build a house for you. God has promised his children his presence. In Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. His protection. In Genesis 15, 1, I am your shield. His power. Isaiah 41, 10, I will strengthen you. His provision. Isaiah 41, 10 as well, I will help you. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, we are promised his peace. I will give you rest. His propitiation, I will forgive you, Hebrews 8, 12. His preparation, I go to prepare a place for you, in John 14, 2. And Isaiah 46, 10 tells us that God promises his purpose. My purpose will be established. Our response to these promises should be given in reverence, praise, and consecration, just like David. Worship is the natural response to of every heart that had been touched by the promises of God. We covered worship last week. And this attitude of worship is something that should encompass every part of our lives as we seek to build a holy temple for the Lord. First Corinthians six nineteen. Well, I have some questions for you that I would like you to answer. And again, as I stated in the beginning of the lesson, I would love to hear from you. Uh, these questions are ones that we should be asking ourselves and really, really thinking about what scripture is telling us. And, you know, have you ever broken a promise? I have. I'm sure you have. What was the result? Uh, this question number three, make a short list of promises or blessings to you from God. You know, that list could be really, really long. I just think about just think about a few things. And what emotions are evoked when you realize that God can do anything well, well above what we can even imagine. We often say when God closes one door, he opens another. I, I hear that a lot. Well, as we talked about in the lesson, have you ever seen 
the door closed, but you try to go through a window or in the basement or come in through the roof because you are just determined to have what maybe God is not wanting you to have because it's not according to his will. You're welcome to email me your answers or at least please just answer the questions for yourself. It's not so much for me. It's for you. Now let's cover chapter uh, chapters eight and nine. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methak Ammah from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. The two lines he measured off those to be put to death. With one and with one full line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadazar, the son of Rahob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. David took from one uh, took from him one thousand chariots, seven hundred horsemen, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for one hundred chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadazar. Uh, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that, he had, that had belonged to the servants of Hadadazar and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Betha and from Barothai, cities of Hadadazar, King David took a large amount of bronze. Then Toa, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadazar. Then Toa sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadazar and defeated him. For Hadadazar had been at war with Toa. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the king to the Lord along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadazar, the son of Rahob, king of Zobah. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over their army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abathar, were the priests. Sariah was the scribe. Ben- Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cheriathites and the Peleathites, and David's sons were chief ministers. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, at your service. 
Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodibar. Then the king David then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Amil, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here's your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for David. For Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son master's son may have food to eat but Mephibosheth your master's son shall eat bread at my table always now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants then Ziba said to the king according to all that your lord the king has commanded his servant so will your servant do as for Mephibosheth, said to the king, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mecca, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, where he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Well, as we now turn to the lesson um, about finding God in his kindness, we see that in verse nine, verse three, that there is no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness, uh, God's kindness. Uh, is there no one still left? That's what Saul, uh, David was looking for. He was trying to see who he could show kindness to through Saul's family. Several years ago, there was a movie that was released called Pay It Forward. It was a movie about a young boy who, as a class project, came up with the idea of showing random acts of kindness. It is a true feel-good movie that inspired many people toward kind of act, uh, kind acts. It appears that there may be a uh, need for a sequel to this movie because we live in a society that is becoming comfortable with being unkind. You know what I mean? If you watch reality TV for a couple of hours or if you just read some of your friends, social media pages, you will see how unkind we have become many times without even realizing it. Kindness is a noun noun that is shown through our actions. Kind actions aren't just the expected ones either. Buying is some uh, someone a wedding gift, for instance, is not. As much a, an act of kindness as it is expected by tradition. True kindness is not shown out of the necessity or obligation. Yet, at the same time, true kindness is an, anything but random. 
David's kindness to Mephibosheth was not expected, but it wasn't random either. It was based on the kindness that David had received from God. Mephibosheth would never forget that day. I don't think any of us would, knowing his his predicament and how and how uh, things were going for him and his family. Word quickly spread through the countryside that King Saul and Prince Jonathan are dead, and David is now king. At the house of Jonathan, this is not only this not only brought grief but panic as well. See, in that day, it was customary for the incoming king to eliminate the family of the king before him. Jonathan's son, um, Mephibosheth, was probably oblivious to all that had just occurred. His nurse burst into the room, grabbed him up, and headed for safety. However, in her haste, she dropped him, crushing his ankles and crippling him for life. Mephibosheth believed that there would never be a day that would that would so impact his life and so affect his future like that day. But he would soon discover that a day would come that would have a far greater impact on his life and on his future. The day he experienced God's kindness in David. David had just subdued his great enemies that we read about the Philistine Philippines, excuse me, the Philistines, the Moabites and the Cyrenians. As he sat in his palace and reflected on his journey from a sheepfold to a throne room, no doubt he was taken by the wonder of God's kindness in his life. He began to look for a way that he could demonstrate the grace of God to someone that was just as unworthy as he was. Well, Mephibosheth, King Saul's crippled grandson, would become the recipient of David's act of kindness. And from this that we've read, we can learn much about the gift of kindness, our kindness to others, and God's kindness to us. David's kindness came as a result of his experience with God. At this point, David was living the fairy tale life. Wouldn't you agree? He had gone from shepherd, shepherd to soldier to sovereign king. This caused David to reflect and ask, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? In verse 18 of chapter 7. This time of self-reflection was common with David, as we can see in Psalm 8, when after reflection of God's splendor, he asks, What is man that you are mindful of him? It is easy to focus on the negative. Easy in this day, for sure. The struggles we face always seem to be in forefront of our thoughts. The Apostle Paul had many reasons to be negative when he wrote to um, Philippian brethren. After all, he was in prison. But he knew that contentment and generosity were a result of thinking the right things. Philippians 4.8 When we consider the positive things God has done in our lives, it should translate into our kindness to others. Secondly, David's kindness serves as an example of God's kindness to us. David asks, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to God unto him? Grace begins in the throne room and finds us. Like us, Mephibosheth did not deserve the kindness of his Lord. He was forgotten by his nation and abandoned by his family. There was no reason to remember Mephibosheth. So he thought, but out of God's kindness, David remembered this crippled man. 
David's servants were quick to remind David that Mephibosheth was crippled, as if that would turn David's heart. David didn't remember Mephibosheth for what he could get out of him, because Mephibosheth had nothing to offer to the king. David was motivated by pure kindness. By the same token, God's motivation to reach out to us is pure kindness. And his kindness will reach to us wherever we are in life. Mephibosheth was in Lodibar, which means no pasture. This was a barren, desolate place. Yet the king found him. God's kindness seeks us out. Ask the prodigal son. They found him in a pig pen and brought him home. Ask Joseph, which our um, youth have been covering here in this last quarter. They found him in a dry cistern and they lifted him as high as second command in Egypt. Ask the Samaritan woman who Jesus was uh, speaking to. They found her, that is God's grace, his kindness at a well in the middle of the day. No matter where you are, God's kindness can find you and he can change your life. David's kindness changed Mephibosheth's life. Mephibosheth could not help himself. He couldn't reach David if he had to. Because of Mephibosheth's weakness, David sent men to carry him. This is another beautiful picture of the kindness of God. His grace is dependent upon his ability, not your ability. When you can't walk any farther, let his grace carry you. When you can't believe anymore, let his grace carry you. When you're weak, let his grace carry you. His grace will carry you and position you at his banquet table. You just can't give up. Maybe as a boy, Mephibosheth pretended what it would have been like had he been the royalty he was born to be. But time had taken those dreams away. Now, David looked down at him and restored his place in the palace. Not only was Mephibosheth given a position of royalty, he was given a position of family. He was treated as one of the king's sons. God's kindness doesn't only make us his servants or just part of the royal priesthood, but God, but sons and daughters. Mephibosheth was a position of personal fellowship. He always had the king's ear. Christians have a place at the table of God and we have his ear. Why do we have this position? Mephibosheth wasn't receiving grace on the basis of what he'd done, but on the basis of what Jonathan, his father, had done. Second Samuel 9, 7. Likewise, we are not receiving God's favor on the grounds of our own works, but on the works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I tell you, that is. Is good news. David's kindness exemplifies the kindness we should show to others, especially those of the household of faith. We should be showing kindness to one another. Always. We should be showing kindness to one another. Always. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a man who did the opposite. This servant was forgiven a debt of the modern equivalent of $10 million. The forgiveness is even more uh, inconceivable when we recognize the average wage in Israel at this time was about 17 cents in American currency. It would have taken him about 200,000 years to pay off that debt and his master completely forgave it. The story does not end there, though. 
He leaves his master only to find a man who holds him, owes him about a hundred shillings, which is about $17 today. Takes him by the throat and demands his money. When the man is unable to pay, he has him thrown into prison. Jesus told this story not only to demonstrate the abundant kindness God shows us, but the lack of appreciation we have for this kindness when we do not show it to others. What kind of message are we sending by the way we treat others? Are we showing them that we appreciate the kindness that God has shown us? Are we? We are God's primary instrument to express his love for the world. Are they getting the message? Take that question a little deeper. Is your family getting the message? Is the church getting the message? Is our congregation getting the message? Are those you disagree with getting the message? Because of David's kindness, Mephibosheth was brought to Jerusalem. There, the feeble, crippled legs of shame were hidden underneath the provisions of the king's banquet table. Mephibosheth had not earned this right. He was given this right because of the kindness of God through David. What undeserving person will be delivered because of God's kindness through you? Now we turn to our questions. Can you think of any random acts of kindness you have received recently? Why should Christians be, and as I put on here, we and we should be, the kindest people on earth? And how can we become guilty of the sin of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18? As I have here, I am very interested in your answers uh, to these questions. So please reach out to me. Uh, I have on here uh, in regards to life's transitions. And this is another transition in our life where maybe we haven't been, I don't know, as kind as we should be. Well, another one of our sister congregations has an article I would love for you to read. It's very short, but it speaks about the kindness that we should have for one another. And because of the kindness that God has given to us, I thoroughly enjoyed studying this lesson uh, with you. And I hope that you come back next week and uh, and get ready for what we will study um, then is finding God. You know, when I sin, when you sin, how do we find God there? And also finding God in the midst of tragedy. So I would um, suggest that before next week comes along, you go ahead and read chapters 10 through 19. There's a lot to cover, but in between um, now and then, you should be able to read those those chapters. Uh, I ask that you be blessed, that you stay in God's word, stay prayed up. And bless others as you are continually being blessed by God.